America, in these uncertain times, we here at the Right Opinion Podcast want you to know that we are thinking of you and that we are there for you at a safe social distance, of course. Now, I mean, rather than actually doing anything to help any of you, we took time out of our day to cut a commercial about how we're thinking of you and we are here for you because apparently that's enough. Uh, Every other company in the country seems to have been able to do this, and I'm starting to question whether or not any of them are actually here for us, mostly because all they're doing is telling us, and they're all telling us, and I think we all know, they're not all here for us. But unlike those companies here on the Right Opinion Podcast, we actually are here for you because in these uncertain times, fake news is at an all-time high And that means we have got some work to do. And because this work is essential, we are going to get to it right now, right here on the Right Opinion Podcast. The following podcast is not meant for children or for liberals, even though that's pretty much the same thing these days. But that's what we're here for. Somebody's got to keep these brats in line. Anyway, you've been warned. It's the Right Opinion. These days, our media's either incompetent or malevolent. They don't believe in heaven, but they actin' like they haven't sent. Knowing the truth is way harder than telling it. We gotta work harder, gotta be more intelligent. Sometimes we just gotta grab a mic and start yelling shit. We're living in times when it's hard to stay relevant. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Be the elephant in the room in a room full of elephants. Boom. Welcome, everybody, right back here to the therightopinion.podbean.com. That must make this the Right Opinion Podcast. That must make me your host, Harrison Bergeron. Happy to have each and every one of you aboard. As always, we've got a lot to talk about. It's a lot of bees this week. Bleach, Biden, bureaucrats, bitches, banks. We're talking about all of it. And uh, unfortunately, unlike Samuel L. Jackson, I was not able to make all of the bees rhyme. Yeah, it's a Captain Marvel reference. Don't get used to those. But anyway, we've got a lot to talk about. But first, let me go ahead and get some of the plugs out of the way. Obviously, you could follow me on Twitter at RightOpinionPod. You can also follow me on Parlor, Instagram, and Minds, also at RightOpinionPod. Most importantly, though, follow this podcast, therightopinion.podbean.com or Just search The Right Opinion on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. It may also pop up on a variety of other feeds because this show, in addition to being available at therightopinion.podbean.com, is available on ratsaladreview.com and hackerhameen.podbean.com. Both of those fine platforms have the gumption, the temerity, the testicular fortitude, if you will, to share this podcast, and we appreciate the hell out of them for it. Check them out if you aren't doing so already. Again, that's ratsaladreview.com or hackerhameen.podbean.com, and both of those are available pretty much anywhere podcasts are available. So hopefully you could find this show one way or the other. While I would much appreciate it if you could just subscribe to therightopinion.podbean.com or subscribe to The Right Opinion on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, It really doesn't matter to me at the end of the day. I get to see most of the metrics. I know who's listening, and I appreciate you for doing it. We're getting a little bit of growth as these episodes roll along here, and that doesn't happen 
without you. So please, if you're not doing so already, share, like, five-star review, all of that good stuff, and we could get the right opinion out to more people who are most certainly getting the wrong opinion. For instance, wrong opinion number one, Donald Trump told you to inject yourself with bleach. And that's our first story here. No, Donald Trump obviously did not tell anyone to inject themselves with bleach. This is obviously absurd. And frankly, I'm a guy who watches a lot of these press briefings. Obviously, I'm a big Trump supporter. I in no way, shape, or form took what he said to mean that. But that's obviously what the media decided to take it as for the purposes of propaganda or because they're just too stupid to understand the actual nuance of what he was talking about there. And granted, look, what was uttered at that press conference that day, not the most articulate or intelligent thing ever uttered at a White House press briefing. I will grant you that. That said, he's spitballing. He's looking for answers in the same way that we all are. And frankly, up to this point, I'm sure he's been just totally and utterly shocked by the types of things that modern medicine can do as a result of this pandemic. And he keeps getting more and more information all the time about different things that they can do or that they can't do or that they're testing. He's probably at this point assuming nothing is really all that outside of the realm of possibilities. And obviously, he is not, nor has he ever suggested that you yourself should self-medicate with chemicals that you would find underneath your kitchen sink. At no point in time has he ever done this, ever. Even when he was talking about hydroxychloroquine, talk to your doctor, I'm not a doctor, we'll get into a little bit more of that, but what was he actually talking about? So he was talking about two different things. He was talking about a disinfectant that was able to kill the coronavirus outside of the body very quickly, within a minute, uh, within one to two minutes, I believe. Then he was also talking about UV light as a potential treatment. Now, it's also been shown that UV light kills this virus along with heat, um, that, that the virus in and of itself cannot survive outside the body very long if it has been exposed to UV light and heat and humidity. So he's talking on one hand about a disinfectant. He's talking about light. Then he says, maybe we can do something with getting light inside the body, to which everyone kind of mocked him for that. But we'll get into that in just a minute here. It's not as far-fetched as you might imagine. Then he was also talking about the disinfectant that kills the virus, again, outside the body. And he was wondering out loud, which maybe wasn't the brightest thing to do, but this is also one of the few occasions that he gets a chance to talk to the pandemic task force and to some of the experts that he brings up there. So as he's getting new information, he's processing it in real time, Again, not the most articulate or intelligent thing ever uttered at a White House press briefing, but I appreciate his candor. I appreciate the honesty, the fact that he's he's asking the same questions that we all want to ask. Is that, you know, oh, that works here. Could we try this here? Does that work there? Oh, great. Let's try this here. Is there a way that maybe we can clean out the lungs through some sort of disinfectant, not necessarily a... Lysol or a pine saw or whatever the case may be, a disinfectant actually has a much broader definition that actually is something that removes infections and, in this case, the virus causes upper and sometimes lower respiratory infection. So he uh, now, um, am I am I saying that that's necessarily what he was saying? No, I don't know what he was meaning in the moment. 
he he kind of was bouncing back and forth between a couple of different topics there, unlike his opponent in November, who's incapable of even handling or juggling a single topic at any given time. He's got two that, that he's talking about here, plus the information that he just absorbed and more information that he has to, to talk about throughout the press conference. Clearly, the man's got a lot on his plate right now. I'm not going to kill him for spitballing a little bit. And he even said in the moment when he was talking about the disinfectant and possibly getting it inside the body, which again is not the most articulate or intelligent thing ever uttered in a White House press briefing. I got to keep reiterating that because I'm not trying to say that what he was suggesting is a good idea. What I'm simply saying is that it was an idea. Was it a good idea? No. Was it a terrible idea? Certainly not to the degree of injecting yourself at home without the you know presence or consultation of a doctor with some chemical that you would use to otherwise clean your oven. Like these are not things that he was saying. Any idiot that took it that way is nothing short of an idiot or pretended to take it that way for the purposes of making him look like a bigger idiot than they already think he is. Now it's quite simple. He doesn't think injecting bleach is a good idea. He also doesn't think taking his medical advice is a good idea by his own admission many times as he's talking about these different cures or these different treatments or these different um, you know tests uh, these different tests that are going on for potential treatments for potential cures he always says I'm not a doctor talk to your doctor they're testing it now implying that it's still in a testing phase not something that you should run out and attempt to do yourself sidebar before we get back into the poison control narrative, which I'm sure some of you have heard about the upticks and calls to poison control as a result of that press conference. Let's sidebar into the light treatment. So he was talking about UV light and if there was a way to get it inside the body. Now, a lot of people mocked him for this. That's ridiculous. That'll probably kill people, whatever the case may be. Well, sure enough, there is an actual lab testing that very theory right now. It's ATYU Bioscience has actually been working on a procedure to attach a UV light to a ventilator tube. So when the ventilator tube goes into the body, in towards the lungs, that UV light can shine into said lungs and hopefully have a similar disinfectant effect on the virus as it would outside of the body. An ATYU Bioscience actually was posting videos and tweets to show the world that they actually are working on the very technology that Trump had mentioned, and YouTube banned the video for violating community guidelines, which apparently one of the guidelines is you're not allowed to prove President Trump right about anything. Also, Twitter banned the videos and suspended at ATYU underscore biosciences account. So YouTube got rid of what is a scientific study being done by a bioscience company here in the U.S., I believe, and they just decided that that violates our guidelines. We're going to remove it from the site. Why? Do they think, are they, are, do they have any scientists over there that are any more uh, acclimated with this particular situation than the actual scientists at a bioscience company that are running actual tests on actual um, treatments that are very similar to the ones that Donald Trump was talking about. 
So they, they didn't like that. Now, YouTube has openly admitted now that they are taking down basically any medical suggestions that are not in coherence with the Wuhan Health Organization. So when push comes to shove, just for the record, YouTube would rather side with the World Health Organization, which is at this point nothing more than a puppet for the Chinese Communist Party, than they would on the side of actual science, actual scientists, and at that, American scientists. But these are the party of science folks, aren't they? These are the ones that, oh yeah, climate change and 95 genders and all of the science that they like so much. However, when you point out that there's no clear delineation as to where to draw the line on when life begins other than conception, then they're, whoa, well, now you're talking all crazy. Yeah, no, that's also just science. And, uh, you know, they're not big fans of it when it doesn't supposedly err on their side of the bullshit. Speaking of bullshit, let's get back into the Lysol bullshit. Even if the mainstream media is to be believed and Trump is actually putting lives in danger, it appears to me, anyway, that Democrats are the only ones who are stupid enough to actually try these things without consulting their doctor. Again, the party of science, ladies and gentlemen. Now, we all know about the lady who probably just killed her husband and tried to blame Trump on it by feeding him koi pine cleaner. That woman is a Democrat voter and a Democrat donor. And, of course, a donor more specifically, I think it's to the 314 Fund, which is supposedly the pro-science resistance. So she's donating money to a cause that's supposedly pro-science and then decided to ingest a chemical she found in the back of her you know, below her sink area, and it happened to be koi pond cleaner, but it happened to include chloroquine. So rather than even doing a quick Google or a WebMD or calling a doctor and saying, hey, is this what Trump's talking about and is this stuff safe to take? No, she just gave it to her husband who died. Also, the media have now jumped on this supposed increase in calls to poison control centers around the country. MSNBC runs the headline, Trump dodges responsibility after calls to poison controls climb. And this is an article on the Maddow blog on, on, on MSNBC written by Steve Barron in the article. It wasn't long before Michigan Governor Milfi, actually I put that in there, Governor Gretchen Whitmer said her state had, quote, seen an increase in numbers of people calling poison control, end quote. Maryland Governor Larry Hogan also said something similar. State officials in Illinois said over the weekend that there'd been a, quote, significant increase in calls, end quote, to the state's poison control center, and New York's health department acknowledged a related increase. Now, let's break all that down there. Michigan, who voted for Trump, but they've also elected Governor Milfi, Rashida Tlaib, and Justin Amash, so they have a bigger blue streak than Martin Lawrence. Illinois, Democrat stronghold. Maryland, Republican governor, but basically as blue as blue gets otherwise. And New York, obviously very, very blue. Now, it would seem it's far more likely that liberals are the ones dumb enough to start ingesting dangerous household chemicals for medicinal purposes and not those evil Fox News watchers who are protesting for their right to earn a living. So one group of people is a bunch of idiots and a bunch of uh, bunch of rubes out there, 
you know, with their guns and their flags, and God forbid they enjoy the freedoms that this country provides, and the other group is a bunch of morons in a bunch of blue states that either are ingesting chemicals or took Donald Trump's words to mean that you should inject, uh, invest, uh, ingest and or inject chemicals, and they've decided to call poison control for the purposes of raising those numbers, or they're just idiots and they're actually doing these things and they're calling poison control after the fact. Funny, they'll call poison control after the fact, but they didn't call a doctor beforehand. Does anyone actually believe any of this stuff? Well, if not, I'm happy to report to you that you are still a sane person. So, oh, by the way, the poison control call increase stories are completely inaccurate. Surprise, surprise. And it turns out that this was a trend that existed long before Donald Trump said anything about potentially injecting yourself with a disinfectant. Let's read some of the headlines here. Vice. Poison control centers have been extra busy since Donald Trump suggested injecting bleach can cure coronavirus. Moving on to the Daily Beast. Calls about bleach poisonings double in NYC after Trump touts quack coronavirus cure. Moving on to NBC, significant increase, and that's in quotes, in calls to Illinois poison control after Trump disinfectant remarks. Uh, WCIA, which I don't even know what that is, but let's roll with it anyway. Two in Illinois call poison control after Trump COVID briefing and the New York Daily News with a headline that says a spike in New Yorkers ingesting household cleaners following Trump's controversial corona comments. Now, I got all those headlines from an article from Legal Insurrection written by a gentleman named Fuzzy Slippers, I believe, which is quite obviously a pseudonym. I hope no one's mother is naming their kid Fuzzy Slippers. But let's take a look at what Fuzzy had to say in the article. And right after listing all those headlines, he says the following. Look at the text of just the last two articles. There's nothing in the body of the post that comes close to supporting the alarming headlines. Two whole people in Illinois called the poison control hotline after the Trump briefing. The link is clear, right? They heard him, ran to the laundry room, and guzzled down some bleach. According to their own report, that's the New York Daily News, I believe, this time around. However, there is no clear link between the briefing and the calls. Did these two callers even watch the briefing? That part is mysteriously not reported. Further, again, according to their own report, the chemicals were likely inhaled or small amounts were accidentally ingested in some way, though it is not reported how they misused the cleaning products and significantly poison control calls have been on an uptick for at least a month. Why is that? Well, two people in Illinois had inappropriate exposure to disinfectants after President's Trump's COVID-19 briefing Thursday. Illinois Poison Control told WCIA calls were made to the IPC, I guess their poison control hotline, after the people used the products incorrectly. But Danny Chung with IPC says this isn't exactly new. Calls to the hotline have increased 36% during the pandemic. He says people have been using products, including bleach, to wash their hands and produce, shun or Chun, stressed, you should never eat, swallow, or ingest any disinfectant or cleanser, and the products should only be used as directed. So basically what's happening is that people are home, obviously, and they're worried about germs, obviously, and they're using bleach 
and other disinfectants to wash their hands, to wash their food, and as a result, and in addition to the fact that a lot of people are home and they're cleaning more, which means that they're using these chemicals more often, there has been an uptick in calls to poison control because people are more regularly exposed to these chemicals now, being in closed quarters, doing a lot of cleaning, worrying about germs, misusing the products, and ingesting them sometimes accidentally in small amounts. Now, accidentally ingesting does not imply that they purposely loaded up a syringe and injected their ass full of Clorox. Under no circumstances could that possibly be interpreted as accidental. Meanwhile, two people in Illinois had inappropriate exposure to disinfectants, and that somehow on Trump. And again, it wasn't because they were purposely misusing the product. It's because they were using the product accidentally, incorrectly, thinking, I can wash my hands, I can wash my produce with bleach, or whatever the case may be. None of these things are proper uses of those disinfectants, and frankly, none of them fall in line with what the media has been telling you that Trump might have said about this. So the line that every news outlet seemed to parrot over and over again is that Trump is responsible for this, and that all these people are are, are dying as a result of his words and his um, suggestions during these press conferences, it's quite clear, based on all those headlines, from all of the usual suspects, Vice, Daily Beast, NBC, and the Daily News in New York, New York Daily News, all of these different outlets are consistently running anti-Trump bullshit all the time. And they found an angle here, and they ran with it. And then even worse than that, so Trump says something that the media misconstrues. Then the media writes a story about their misconstruing of Donald Trump's words. Then other outlets and other companies and other people make statements based on their misinterpretations of what Trump had said. And then they write stories about that. So Trump says X, media writes Y. Then Lysol has to make a statement based on what the media is telling people that Trump said, which he never said. And then the media writes a report about Lysol having to release a statement. FYI, people, Lysol has to print on their can, do not eat this because most people are just that fucking stupid. And for that matter, we have a very and extraordinarily litigious society here that will sue anybody over virtually anything and going all the way back to the idiot who spilled coffee in her lap at a McDonald's one time. Now we need to put all these warnings on all of these things Frankly, I think we should just let natural selection take its course, but that's just me. All right, so this show is not going to be entirely about the coronavirus, but I do. I think I have one or two more points here. Let's talk about everybody's favorite governor. Yes, all of you Cuomo-sexuals out there, it is time to wave whatever flag you have to represent said sexuality. Governor Andy, Andrew Cuomo of the uh, state of New York. Remember when he was like the greatest thing since the invention of the iPad? Yeah, well, here's a little something the mainstream media isn't telling you about Governor Andy, and this comes to us. I believe the article I have in the show notes is from Business Insider, but I think it's based on a report from New York Post. So let's read from the article. When a New York City nursing home was forced to admit coronavirus patients late last month, public health officials also gave them a box of body bags in a concerning incident reported by the New York Post on Thursday. An executive of the unnamed Queens nursing home says 
that the facility was coronavirus-free until Governor Andrew Cuomo forced facilities in the state to accept coronavirus patients on March 25th. Following the order, the nursing home took in two residents who had recently been discharged from local hospitals after COVID-19 infections and were stable. When they took in these patients, officials sent them a box of personal protective equipment or personal protection equipment for the staff designated to treat these residents, and in the same box was a supply of body bags, the executive said. And here is some words from him, and I quote, My colleague noticed that one of the boxes was extremely heavy. Curious as to what could possibly be making the particular box so much heavier than the rest, he opened it, the executive told the Post. He continues on to say that the first two coronavirus patients were accompanied by five body bags. The nursing home went on to see 30 people die of the coronavirus in the following weeks, and every week they get five more body bags. Cuomo has blood on his hands. He really does. There's no way to sugarcoat this, the executive added. Why in the world would you be sending coronavirus patients to a nursing home where the most vulnerable population to this disease resides? Rich, as a party, who is a spokesman for the governor, called the comment disgusting in a response to the Post saying these facilities were trying to deflect from their failures. When Cuomo announced the order last month, he said the nursing homes had a duty to take these patients, calling it their basic fiduciary obligation, end quote. So, lots to unpack there. First and foremost, I am 100% with the guy who runs that nursing home, and I want to ask the exact same question. Why in the world would you be sending coronavirus patients into a nursing home where the most vulnerable population to this disease resides? I need an honest and logical explanation from Governor Andy on this one, because it stands to reason that not a single sentient being was involved in that decision-making process. Again, we all, one of the few things we all know about this virus is that it affects the, the elderly and the immunocompromised, and probably the last place in the world you would want to send a COVID patient is into a nursing home. As a matter of fact, one of the earliest rounds of deaths that we saw as a result of this virus occurred in Washington State, where somebody, I believe an employee of the nursing home, had COVID, went in, infected a bunch of people, and virtually all of their patients died. So, why would you be doing that now? And more importantly, if even if you were under the impression that it was somehow safe, why would you be sending them with body bags? I mean, first and foremost, tact, bro. Like, send the body bags separately from the old people. Let's, I mean, wouldn't that at least make a little bit of sense from just a compassionate point of view? Secondly, they sent two patients, but they sent five body bags. So they knew. They knew that these people were going to go in there and that this was going to spread into a facility that literally houses the most vulnerable population to this disease. It makes no sense whatsoever. And this wasn't a suggestion. No, no. This was mandated by the governor. Send sick people into a facility where the people there are already super vulnerable to being infected by the disease that these two people are infected with. And what happened? Not two people died, 30 people died. So 28 other patients in just that nursing home died that didn't have to. And if I'm in any of their families, 
I'm calling a lawyer, and there should be a massive lawsuit filed against the state of New York and Governor Andy for his malfeasance in all of this. But, you know, Governor Andy, instead of getting heat for this, he's being touted as a potential presidential nominee because he's on TV every day. And and it's so weird because they he's on TV every day and they, they seem to love all these press briefings that he's doing. Half the time he's talking about how wonderful a job Trump is doing, and yet that doesn't seem to get reported. It's only when he says stupid stuff like, thanks for doing your job, Donald, that he gets any sort of actual mainstream media coverage for these press briefings. Otherwise, he's just fine and dandy Andy for just being there and bitching and complaining about a problem that really is only terrible in his state. Now, don't get me wrong. Any loss of life is sad and unnecessary because a lot of it could have been avoided if China and the World Health Organization just actually told the truth to the world. But New York has it worse than anybody. I think the state has about 25% of the deaths. The New York City itself has about 20% of the deaths here for the country. And granted, there's circumstances. There are people, more people are traveling, population density. Like, I get it. I'm not trying to fully put this on the lap of Governor Andy. But when you make decisions like, hey, you know that nursing home over there that we're desperately trying to keep COVID free? Let's go ahead and send two COVID patients into the walls there and hope for the best, which is, I guess, maybe just five deaths in his interpretation of the best, because they did send five body bags with two patients. So it stands to reason that they were aware that this was going to cause more death. And nevertheless, they pushed forward with this absolutely nonsensical policy that unfortunately cost at least 28 people their lives in that nursing home alone. Speaking of a nursing home, let's talk about the House of Representatives. There's a lot of people in there that belong in one. Nancy Pelosi, for one. The House is going to take another week off until they feel it's safe to return to uh, Washington, D.C. And I have so much to say about this. Number one, and most importantly, what a bunch of bitches. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was the House of Representatives, not the House of fucking cowards, because that's what you are right now. The rest of this country, you got people out there that work in grocery stores, that work in drive throughs that work in pet stores. These people are out there bearing the, you know, the, the, the fire. Why can't these House of Representatives get their asses to work? I mean, are they admitting that they aren't essential? Because, I mean, frankly, they are, according to the Constitution, but they certainly don't act like it even on a normal week. But here we are in a time where we actually need them to show up to do their jobs to get more money out to the uh, the PPP or to into a, a CARES Act round two or whatever it is that we're going to do to help the American people get through this right now. We unfortunately cannot do that without the House of Representatives because any legislation that goes through needs to be passed by both the House and the Senate. And there's a lot of people from the Senate that stuck around D.C. to do their jobs, but the House, they decided, no, no, it's not, it's not safe for us. It's safe for the pet shop workers and for the drive through workers and for the grocery store workers who make a fraction of what they make, but it's not safe for these people. I mean, maybe if these people weren't also fucking old and out of shape, they wouldn't be in such danger, but because many of them are, they're probably right. It's probably not safe, but we need to take every precaution that we can possibly can with these people, but get them back to work, and I have a plan for that. Also, why can't they just vote by mail? I'm, I'm told 
that that is an incredibly secure way to accomplish voter integrity, right? They want you and I to vote by mail for the presidential election, even though a report came out this week that something something like 28 million mail-in ballots magically disappeared in the last 10 years. And that's just with the existing population of, of people who vote by mail. Multiply that out to the entire population. We're looking at just a tremendous amount of votes that are either going to mysteriously disappear, never make it to their destination, be screened by somebody. Ballot harvesting is unfortunately a thing where instead of you going to the post office to drop off your vote, which in and of itself is still not really maintaining any semblance of um, a chain of custody unless you're going to like FedEx it and demand a signature. But ballot harvesting is a thing in many of these blue states in particular where they go around and they'll collect people's ballots and then group, like, bulk mail them. Now, I mean, that would be fine if you we lived in a world where you could assure me that absolutely no one would flip through those ballots and conveniently get rid of the ones that were voting against their wishes, but we don't live in that world, and absolutely no one believes that isn't happening, not anyone who has any semblance of honesty about, you know, unfortunately, the state of our politics and the emotional overreactions of people who keep losing because they believe in stupid policies and they don't come to the realization that it's because they believe in the stupid policies and the people that espouse them and not because of the evil people on the other side of the aisle who, by the way, in this case are fulfilling their civic duty the same way that you are. They're casting their vote and regardless of what you think of them as people, they have the right to do that and Democrats don't give a fuck. But I'm told that voting by mail is so secure, I say that we have the House of Representatives vote by mail, right? Or email or Skype or oh, Skype. As a matter of fact, that gets me to my next point. Why can't they work from home? You mean to tell me that the federal government doesn't have the resources to set up a laptop at each and one of these people's desks and have one of their assistants or some tech person there in the Capitol building log them on securely so that they can all be basically sat in the seats that they normally would be sat in via Skype or via Zoom? I mean, there's plenty of people working from home right now, and those people are actually busting their ass to try to make sure that they could support themselves. These idiots are still getting paid to sit at home and do nothing and eat, you know, chocolate ice cream out of their $24,000 freezers that they're so tone deaf they decided to show off like it's an episode of Cribs um, while people are actually losing their jobs and finding it hard to feed themselves and their families. I don't see why these people can't work from home. And frankly, I'll take it a step further. I think they should always work from home. You know, rather than allow this cesspool of backroom deals, let's make it, you know, a little bit more difficult for these people to do all of their sneaky shit behind the behind closed doors. Let's make them physically pick up a phone or set up Skype to do their shady shit, knowing that somebody somewhere will be able to access that and hopefully they'll be a little bit more mindful of the types of activities that they are that they are participating in. Meanwhile, these people are supposed to be representing their states. So, shouldn't they live there amongst their constituents where they have to answer to them for the decisions that they're making rather than running away to Washington DC and hiding behind uh, the, the Capitol building or hiding behind other people in the government go, oh, yeah, you know, like, oh, I'm just trying to do what's good for the country. No, you should be doing what's best for your state. That's why you were elected in the first place is to represent your state 
and your constituents. There's a reason the Capitol building resides in D.C. and that people have been going there for hundreds of years. And that's because in 1700s, when Congress was established, there wasn't Skype and there wasn't Zoom. And these people did physically need to all be in the same place at the same time in order to get negotiations done for legislation that they're ultimately going to pass, potentially. Nowadays, no such issue exists. We can Skype and we can Zoom from any part of the world into Congress, and they could definitely find a means of doing it securely. There's plenty of private businesses all around the country that I'm sure have secure lines for Skype, for Zoom, for, for you know, obviously sensitive topics that they have to talk about, especially now when a lot of people are working from home. So what's my solution to all of this? Well, in addition to working from home permanently, um, in the event that we can't get that done now, I'm going to pull out, yes, folks, the pocket constitution. It comes out again. Here we are, Article 2, Section 3 of the United States Constitution. He shall, this being the president, he shall from time to time give to the Congress information of the State of the Union and recommend to their consideration such measures as he shall judge necessary and expedient. That's obviously the State of the Union. It used to just be a letter. Now it's like a whole circus. We all know how that goes. Continuing on from there. And this is the important part. I'm going to say this very slowly. He may, on extraordinary occasions, convene both houses or either of them. I'm going to say that again. He, the president, may, on extraordinary occasions, convene both houses or either of them. So, in Article 2, Section 3, Article 2 lays out all the powers of the presidency. Section 3, talking about, basically, his relationship with Congress, it states that he can on extraordinary occasions, and I can't think of a more extraordinary occasion than the one we're living through right now, convene both houses or either of them. President Trump, it is time to flex your presidential muscle, and it is time to enact your powers under Article 2, Section 3 of the Constitution, and force the House under this extraordinary occasion to convene immediately by them hazmat suits by them face shields and masks and you know gas masks and literally whatever they need to be comfortable they need to convene immediately to begin to negotiate and ultimately vote on yet another relief package for the american people and more specifically to help fund some of the states that are receiving extraordinary unemployment benefits, supplement them with administration, give them money to fill their coffers as far as the unemployment benefits go, and exclusively as far as the unemployment benefits go. There are things that need to be done still, and Nancy Pelosi, sitting at home, on her ass, eating chocolate ice cream, in no way, shape, or form is serving the American people, never mind the constituents of District 12 in California, the people that she's supposed to be representing. And yes, when this money gets handed back out to these states, which unfortunately will probably have to happen one way or another, but yes, when Donald Trump says, I'm willing to give the states their money, but they need to start enforcing federal immigration laws, that is not a quid pro quo. That is just common sense. They should be doing it already, and they shouldn't be getting a dollar of federal aid for coronavirus 
previous to coronavirus or after coronavirus until they comply with the federal law that they themselves have sworn to uphold in order to be part of this wonderful union we know as the United States of America. So no, it's not a quid pro quo. This is just basic policy. And again, they shouldn't receive a dime in any sort of aid for any reason until they fulfill their obligations as states as a part of a union of other states. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Looking at you, California. And also, Trump has been very vocal about not funding these states above and beyond the threshold of the effects of the coronavirus. There have been a lot of states that have been running massive deficits long before this pandemic. That means that the state pension funds are probably not funded at this moment in time. There's a lot of shortcomings, I'm sure, as far as education, as far as the unemployment programs, all of that sort of stuff. And some of that we need to help them with because it doesn't make any sense for us to punish the citizens of that given state, even though they're the idiots that elected these people in the first place. It's the shortcomings of the government leaders, not the shortcomings of the citizens entirely. And until we can, you know, break out the ballots and figure out who voted for who and give people the right money, which I don't think is a right way to go on about it anyway. A lot of people vote for people under false pretenses because <laughs> politics, who knew politicians aren't always forthcoming about their actual policies. But he talks about certain states that are already running deficits. He doesn't want to fund those states for those pre-existing deficits. And let's look at some of the numbers here. So I actually have a list of the top 10 states by debt going into 2020, or at least as of 2020. This is from worldpopulationreview.com. So the top 10 states by the debt that they currently hold. California, number one, $152 million of state debt. New York, $139 million of state debt. Massachusetts, $77 million of state debt. New Jersey, close to $66 million of state debt. Illinois, $61 million of state debt, close to 62 actually. Texas, close to $51 million of state debt. Pennsylvania, $47.5 million in state debt. Connecticut, about $39 million. Ohio, $33.5 million. And Michigan, about another $33.5 million. So California, New York, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Illinois. That's your top five. And what do they have in common? Oh, yeah, that's right. They're all bluer than blue could possibly be. And I live in New Jersey, so you know I know about that. California, New York, go without saying. Massachusetts, the wonderful state that gave us the great Pocahontas. And Illinois, home of Chicago, the dirtiest city in the history of politics, maybe going all the way back to ancient Rome. I mean, for the love of God. Now, you know, you want to jump on me about Texas. Fair enough. Texas, though, let's look at this in perspective here. You've got Texas running a third of the state debt of California. A third. California's got over $150 million in state debt. Texas has a little bit over $50 million dollars in state debt. And California, by the way, happens to house all of Hollywood and all of Silicon Valley, and they're taxing virtually all of those stupidly wealthy ass clowns at a 13.3% state income tax. 
13.3%. That's on top of the federal, which in a lot of cases, those people are paying 40 million, 40%. So they're paying more than 50% in, in, in income tax. I think these people are stupidly wealthy. But as you know, I don't believe in too much money. It's just not a thing. It doesn't really exist. And these people are paying too much in taxes. They're paying damn near 53% in taxes. That's crazy. I don't care how much money you make. You are at least entitled to half of it. Okay? That seems pretty fair. Call me crazy. And California, despite having all of that money and taxing it at 13.3% and having a sales tax that is precisely one percentage point higher than Texas, who has no state income tax, California is running triple the debt as Texas is. And Texas has no state income tax and a lower sales tax. So California, terribly run. I mean, there's no way of cutting around this. They run that place like there's an empty pit of money somewhere that has their name on it. And they just run shit like that accordingly. It is unfathomable that you could be collecting 13.3% income tax on all of the people that make all of that stupid, stupid money in Silicon Valley and still be running a deficit and not only a deficit, the largest deficit. As a matter of fact, the only two states on that list that are running a deficit over 100 million are New York and California. Even Massachusetts, while not great at 77 million, is basically half of New York. And New Jersey, little less than that. Illinois, a little less than that. And then another 10 million down the line, you finally hit Texas. And as is always the case, it's not really ever the amount of tax money that is the problem. It's the spending. Texas is running a third of the deficit, third of the debt as California, and they take in zero dollars in state income tax, where California is getting 13.3% income tax from some of the wealthiest people in the world, not even the country. It is insane. Like, you can you could show a kindergartner those books, and they would immediately be like, something's wrong here. You guys are spending way more money than you're taking in. And oh, by the way, you're taking in a lot of money. It is just crazy. So Trump is 100% right on that. We should not be giving money to these states. Now, I'm not saying we can't give California money, but what I'm also saying is that we can't give California $152 million plus whatever they might need to combat the coronavirus and, and the various effects of it. We can't do it. We are, we're already handing out a bunch of money that we don't have, printing a bunch of money we shouldn't be printing. We cannot continue to use this crisis as a means of filling in the holes of the Democrats' shortcomings all throughout time. It can't be done. We need to focus on this particular problem and let California and New York and Massachusetts and New Jersey and Illinois and sure, fuck it, why not? Even Texas, let's let the people in those states come to the realization that the federal government is not going to come rushing to their aid, and it's time for them to start voting in some slightly more fiscally responsible people into office instead of voting in the same ass clowns that keep spending money they don't have and then keep raising the tax money on you so that they can then have more money to spend even more than what they're taking in to create an even larger debt to ultimately raise taxes again, and the cycle just keeps on going. Eventually, you'll be paying... 
50% state tax and 50% federal tax, and you'll be wondering where your paycheck went. It's sadly possible. Anyway, let's move on from there. So from a House of Representatives that is a bunch of bitches to a former senator who seems to like himself some bitches probably a little too much. Yes, of course, I'm talking about sleepy, creepy, flippy, floppy, sloppy Joe. Yes, of course, I am talking about Joe Biden, presumptive nominee for the Democratic Party heading into the election in November of 2020. Now, is Joe a sexual predator? I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, Tara Reid's story is certainly compelling and much more compelling than the stories that were touted to high heaven by the mainstream media in regards to Brett Kavanaugh or even President Trump. And I'm going to dive into that a little bit here. But let me let's let Joe speak for himself a little bit here. So the first couple of clips I'm going to play for you are from 1991 when Anita Hill was testifying in front of Congress uh, in relation to the potential approval of Justice Clarence Thomas. Now, we know that he eventually did get approved after this testimony, and Joe Biden was the one actually running the entirety of the testimony. I believe he was the chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee or Judiciary Committee or whatever it was at the time. He was the chair. So if you remember back to the impeachment nonsense, you had uh, Adam Schiff and Jerry Nadler, being the chairs of their respective committees that were doing all the questioning in regards to the uh, various stages of the impeachment, Joe Biden was the guy front and center during all this. Now, we'll get to it in a little bit. He believes Anita Hill or claims to have believed Anita Hill, which only makes the clips that I'm about to play you from 1991 a bit more creepy. Let's get into some of them. These have been clipped up by someone other than me, frankly, so there are some kind of pauses in there. I'm going to try to put some space in between everything so you know that these weren't exactly congruent thoughts, but these are, I guess, the lowlights of Joe Biden's performance during the 1991 Anita Hill testimony, and here we Joe. Welcome, Professor Hill. Thank you. Can you tell the committee what was the most embarrassing of all the incidences that you have alleged. That's clip number one. Let's roll into clip number two. It is appropriate to ask Professor Hill anything any member wishes to ask her to plumb the depths of her credibility. Plumb the depths of her credibility. I mean, to me, that sounds like it's, sounds like it's sexual innuendo to me personally. And the tone in which he's asking both of those two things there, the, the, the first question and then the statement, doesn't necessarily believe like he's somebody who sympathizes with Miss Hill, who was apparently sexually assaulted by Justice Clarence Thomas, according to her. Again, Justice Thomas was eventually approved and is now residing on the Supreme Court. But, you know, good old Joe plumbing the depths of her credibility Yikes. And then apparently he got some blowback for some of those earlier comments and he decided to make one last pass at seeming like a respectable human being probably fails again and uh, definitely would fail many, many, many more times later in life. Here's the third clip. I do apologize to the women of America if they got the wrong impression about how seriously I take 
the issue of sexual harassment. I must tell you, I must tell everyone else, I take sexual harassment seriously. He takes sexual harassment seriously, all right, especially when you're listening to the story of Tara Reid. So why is this all important, right? Obviously, the guy's running for president, but, you know, as somebody who supports a candidate and, for that matter, supported the uh, appointment of a Supreme Court justice who faced similar allegations, and, you know, I'm a dude, like, God knows if, if this show ever gets off, you know, into a certain stratosphere of success— these types of accusations could come forward about me or, you know, my dad or my friends or whatever the case may be. Unfortunately, the whole believe all women thing put a lot of men in jeopardy for things that they very well may have never done. And for that matter, puts women in jeopardy because now when you set a standard that is so ridiculous, like believe all women, it's easy for people to second-guess women who are coming forward about these types of things. But Joe Biden, let's flash forward now to 2018 during the Kavanaugh controversy and the Me Too movement. He says that he believed Anita Hill back in 1991, which didn't stop him from asking her about the most embarrassing part of the ordeal that she suffered, supposedly, essentially making her relive the worst parts of the trauma that he believes she suffered. This is clearly not a man who has a ton of empathy, despite the fact that he's very good at making it seem like he does when he's doing campaign rallies. But here's Joe in 2018 with PBS talking about the now Kavanaugh situation in relation to his dealings with the Anita Hill situation back in 1991. Women should be believed. I believed Anita Hill. I said I believe Nita Hill. I voted against Clarence Thomas when she decided she was willing to come forward. Yeah, I'm sure that he wasn't already going to be voting against Clarence Thomas anyway. I mean, it's not like these things typically fall along party lines or anything along those lines. But let's just, you know, let's take his word for it here. He believed Anita Hill and then went out of his way to make her relive the most traumatic experiences of the ongoing supposed traumatic experiences that she was dealing with at the time with uh, with uh, allegedly with uh, obviously now Supreme Court Clarence Thomas. But here's another little clip from that same interview from PBS in 2018. This one makes the current situation slightly more interesting. So I but she deserves credit because it took enormous courage for her to come forward. The good thing about what's happening now and why I'm keeping up this, this, com this college promise tour I'm doing, I go out and it's on us. I go to campus after campus. We're changing the culture. We have to get men involved. The biggest thing that will come from this is for men to stop thinking they can engage in loose talk about women and it not be damaging. Okay, now he's obviously talking about his, the Me Too movement is what's going on now and the Kavanaugh situation and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, Anita Hill deserves credit. She was tremendously brave in coming forward. Why isn't that same standard being applied to Tara Reid? The answer is fairly obvious. It's that the media is in bed with the Democrats and they will not, dare not, speak an ill word towards their masters in the Democratic Party. And Joe Biden is obviously the presumptive nominee for that party heading into November 3rd, 2020, which is 
frighteningly closer than I think we all realize, especially once we all get out of the house again on the other side of coronavirus. Time's going to fly by real quick. And before we know it, it's going to be Trump steamrolling Biden in debates. And then we're going to be going on to the election in November. And yes, we will be going to the polls to vote because despite what Nancy Pelosi tells you, voting by mail is not a secure way to ensure voter integrity. Nevertheless, oh, and also Biden had clung on to some conspiracy theory that Trump was going to try to move the election. He was asked about this the other day during the press briefings, and it sounded like it was the first time he ever even heard of the idea. So unless he's a tremendous actor, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say he probably wasn't thinking about that, nor would he want to. I I think, at least in his mind, he's pretty sure he's got this thing locked up, especially when he's looking at the other side of the aisle and he sees a bumbling old fool who barely knows where he is and needs to have his wife hold his hand through press conferences and uh, in interviews on television. Speaking of which, good old Joe, creepy, sleepy, flippy, floppy, malarkey Joe, he was on The Morning Joe this week and was being interviewed by Mika Brzezinski, wife of host Joe Scarborough. Mika Brzezinski is also the one you may remember who showed up to Mar-a-Lago after just having a facelift done and was bleeding all over the place and I couldn't let her in. She was bleeding. She could have bled all over my expensive stuff. Yeah, that Mika. So she was interviewing Joe Biden. Now, this is a scenario here where Joe could not have gotten a cushier interview than the morning Joe But nevertheless, this still did not go very well for him. And you know what? I don't often do this, but I do want to credit Mika Brzezinski for actually asking a question that needed to be asked. Let's get in to that clip right now. Are women to be believed? Are women to be believed unless it pertains to you? (laughs) Look, women are to be believed given the benefit of the doubt if they come forward and say something that is that they said happened to them they should start off with the presumption they're telling the truth then you have to look at the circumstances and the facts and the facts in this case do not exist they never happened and there's so many inconsistencies in what has been said in this case so yes look at the facts and i assure you it did not happen Period. Period. But why is it different now? Do you regret what you said during the Kavanaugh hearings? What I said during the Kavanaugh hearings was that she had a right to be heard. And the fact that she came forward, the presumption would be she's telling the truth unless it's proved she wasn't telling the truth. Well, let's go back and see exactly what he did have to say about the Christine Blasey Ford situation, which is a a very nice way of sugarcoating that whole scenario. But um, let's see what what old Joe had to say when he was asked about the Kavanaugh case back in 2018, I believe it was. Yeah, right around the same time as that PBS interview. Here we go. Kavanaugh here. Um, Dr. Ford has said now that she wants to testify, as you know, Mr. Vice President. Uh, but now the battle seems to be over how versus when. Uh, she wants to make sure that she's protected. She wants to make sure that she's treated fairly. How would you suggest that the uh, that the Senate handle these allegations? I think they should do an FBI investigation. We did that for Anita Hill. Took two days, number one. And number two, most importantly, Anita Hill was vilified when she came forward by a lot of my colleagues, character assassination. I wish I could have done more to prevent those questions and the way they asked them. 
I hope my colleagues learn from that. Learn from that. She deserves to be treated with dignity. It takes enormous courage for a woman to come forward on the bright lights of millions of people watching and relive something that happened to her, assert that something happened to her. And she should be treated with respect. You brought up Anita Hill. You were uh, chairman of the Judiciary yep. Committee back in 1991. You were roundly criticized for uh, not doing more uh, during that hearing. Um, looking back on that, Specifically, how would you advise senators to proceed next week? And, and how do you balance um, the rights of, of, of a woman who's making accusations like this versus the presumption that a person is innocent until proven guilty? Well, I think the presumption should exist. But what should happen is the woman should be given the benefit of the doubt and not be, not be uh, um, you know, uh, abused again by the system. So when he was talking to Mika, he said that she had the right to be heard. Now when he's talking, going back a couple of years about Christine Blasey Ford, and for that matter, Anita Hill, he believes that they deserve the benefit of the doubt and that the system shouldn't abuse them again. Again, I say, why isn't Tara Reid given that same standard? As a matter of fact, I think we should hold uh, Tara Reid's story to the same standard that he wanted to hold Christine Blasey Ford's story. Let's have a full FBI investigation where we can delve into this more deeply with actual law enforcement officers, not reporters from the New York Times or Politico or even, you know, the alternative right wing media that's out there. They're biased. There's no doubt about it. I'm part of it. I don't hide it. The name of my show is The Right Opinion, and it's pretty obvious when you're looking at it what my opinions are going to be. Never, never mind the red font. Uh, in the middle of it there. But I think we should hold him to the same standard. I don't understand why Brett Kavanaugh, Trump is one thing, right? Like we all know Trump is, I don't want to say a womanizer, but let's say he's certainly been involved with enough women over time uh, to where we can assume, you know, he's a, he's a bit of a ladies man. He's had three wives. I think he's cheated on all of them, presumably. Um, and obviously he's had many a, a model date slash girlfriend, celebrities, whatever the case may be. The guy's got a, a certain track record. Now, none of that track record involves sniffing children or groping women directly in front of their husbands or enriching his family via his public office or wiping Obama's ass when he's asked to do so. Um, this old fool, Mr. Magoo, for some reason, A, doesn't hasn't quite figured out how the internet works yet because he obviously doesn't realize that we can go back and hear what he said two years ago and even farther back than that. But he seems to think that he's above the standard that he and his buddies in the Democrat Party and in the mainstream media have held everyone else to. Brett Kavanaugh was a damn Boy Scout before. I think that is an actual literal statement. I'm pretty sure he was a Boy Scout when he was younger anyway. But the guy lived his entire life. You know, maybe he had one too many beers on occasion. That's his biggest sin. My God. This is a guy who literally noted down everywhere he had been and every person he had met with for, like, decades. He had these records there, all the contemporaneous information you could possibly want about where he was during the time that Christine Blasey Ford was suggesting that he was raping her. And yet, 
Not only did his notes prove otherwise, but all of the people that she suggested that were coming forward, that could come forward rather, to corroborate her evidence when questioned, none of them knew what she was talking about. None of them were familiar with the party she was talking about. None of them even knew which house she was talking about. And certainly none of them recall her being distraught after a rape that supposedly occurred 30-something years ago that she apparently never told anyone about. So, in one case, literally no evidence, as a matter of fact, exculpatory evidence as far as Brett Kavanaugh is concerned, and now we have Tara Reid, right? So why is this more legitimate than the Christine Blasey Ford case? Well, one, she has contemporaneous uh, testimony. She has both her mother, who she told at the time, and a neighbor of hers that she told at the time. Let's get to the neighbor in a minute here. But her mother not only can vouch for what she said at the time, but at that time had actually called in to Larry King Live and talked about, my daughter was working for a senator. She was sexually assaulted. She doesn't know what to do. She can't go to the, you know, she should she go to the press? Should she go to the authorities? Whatever the case may be. And it was virtually verified now um, that, that woman, back in that phone call, way back in, I believe in the 90s, had was in fact Tara Reed's mother regurgitating the story that she was told by Tara, which is the same story that she's telling today. Now, the neighbor is an interesting thing. Actually, you know, real quick, one thing on the Larry King Live thing is that conveniently, I'm sure this is just a coincidence, is that if you go on the Google Play Store, you can actually go back and download old episodes of Larry King Live. I don't know why you would want to, but you can. And the full library of virtually every episode that was ever recorded on CNN is available there, except the one episode where Tara Reed's mother called Larry King and confessed that her daughter was sexually assaulted by a senator at the time, which was a time that Joe, Joe Biden was a senator. She was a staffer for him at that time, no one denies those facts, but the Google Play Store removed the single episode from the catalog that just so happened to have the damning information in it. Now, you would think the people at Google would realize that you can't delete anything from the internet, but hey, they tried. I, I don't know. Now, let's get back into the neighbor, because the neighbor is kind of the, the outlier in this story for me. She has come forward and said, I believe it's a she, has come forward and said that Tara Reid did, in fact, mention something to her back at the time of the assault, which I guess was in the 90s. I think it was like 93. Um, mentioned something at that time to her and that she has now come forward and corroborated that contemporaneous testimony that she gave to her. The catch with all of this, it's, it's sort of weird, right? So the woman is a Biden supporter. She's a Democrat. She's voting for Biden in all likelihood in November, which is, it, it, it kind of, on one hand, she's not a Trump supporter, so that you can make the claim that there's no real bias there. On the other hand, if she believed Tara Reid's story back then, how could she possibly be a Joe Biden supporter today? So I would I would say that while she has corroborated what Tara or Tara's mother told her at the time about this alleged assault, it's still a little weird to me that knowing what she knew and being told what she was told, that she would still be a Biden supporter to this day. 
That seems very double think to me. I mean, what it tells me is that she didn't believe Tara's story at the time and just went in one year and out the other, and she continued her life and decided to continue to vote Democrat, despite the fact that she was told that a Democratic senator raped her neighbor's daughter uh, and neighbor, I guess. I assume they lived at the similar places at the time. But it's all a little weird. Like, it's very convenient for the narrative of Joe Biden as a sexual predator to say that, oh, well, she's a Biden supporter. Well, if that's the case, then how could she have possibly taken that story seriously and still be a Biden supporter? That's not quite adding up to yours truly. But she did, you know, verify that these things were told to her at the time. Maybe she's taking them a little bit more seriously now, um, you know, having seen Joe Biden. I mean, the guy is, let's say, let's just say it. he's creepy. I mean, he's creepy, sleepy, flippy, floppy, sloppy, malarkey Joe. He's He's definitely a weird fella. But like I said before, I think we should hold Biden to his own standards. We should have a hearing and have an FBI investigation. He should also release any records pertaining to that period of time regarding any of the employees that he was working for. Miss Reed claims that she filed a formal complaint at the time. And Joe said, well, I can't release those records. Those are with the National Archives. When the National Archives were contacted, they clearly stated that they not only do not have the records, but they wouldn't have those records. That's not their job. They wouldn't have held on to those. Those are apparently that it was found out. I think they were submitted to the University of Delaware, which is where Joe graduated from, I guess it's some sort of historical document, but they've been archived and won't be released for some 50 years or something along those lines. So Joe Biden will be long gone. Hunter Biden will be on wife number seven with kid number eight from, you know, six different women or whatever the case may be all of which will be strippers from Arkansas, no doubt. Uh, maybe a few Ukrainians or maybe even some Chinese. We know that he likes to uh, provide some economic intercourse with those folks just to take a term from his old man there. But to me, I mean, he's lying about the records. I have a more of, I have a, I have a very long track record of him sniffing kids and touching women. The guy's a creep, man. I mean, he's a very weird dude. At this point in the game, like I can almost, you can almost blame it on his senility, but we're talking about charges and gifts and videos that go back 10 plus years in some cases of this guy touching kids and touching women, like right in front of their husbands at that. And everyone's just kind of like, okay, he's got like some biker lady sitting in his lap at like a campaign rally. Maybe she was there voluntarily. I don't know, but none of this screams presidential to me. So do I know definitively that he digitally raped Tara Reid? Digits, not like electronically, but digitally, like fingers being digits in this case. Um, I don't know. I'm compelled to believe Tara Reid's story, not because I hate Biden so much, but because I know Biden's track record. The guy's a creep. He's always been a creep, and from what I can tell, he will always be a creep. So I'm inclined to believe her. I'm also more than willing to hear all of the facts and the data, and I would love nothing more for there to be an investigation. Would I prefer that an agency other than the FBI do that investigation? Because let's face it, they aren't exactly reliable from what we've been told. And uh, actually, as I'll get into in a little bit when we roll into Michael Flynn here, but I don't understand why Joe Biden, well, I mean, I understand why. I don't understand why anybody accepts the fact that Joe Biden is held to a different standard. He's blatantly lying about records that he could obtain and release and exonerate him. I know. What about Trump's tax records? What about this, that, and the other thing? Trump has said, I'm not releasing them. 
Like, I, you know, I will release them when I'm done aud under audit. And they, I, to my knowledge, has not been out of audit. And at this point, we're four years removed from the election. It doesn't make any sense. The guy was elected. Let's move on. Joe Biden is in the process of building up to an election. We're not talking about some sort of minutial, you know, minutia financial crime here. We're talking about sexual assault. And being that we threw the book at Brett Kavanaugh on much shakier charges from much clearly more psychotic women. Let's not forget, it wasn't just Blasey Ford. It was Julie Swetnick, too, who was represented by creepy porn lawyer Michael Avenatti. Um, she was claiming that not only was Kavanaugh a rapist, but that he was organizing gang rape parties of which she repeatedly attended. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being like, I mean, I'm a father. Um, if my daughter was like, hey, I was at this party and there was like a gang rape going on. I'm going back to that same house tonight. To, like, I, fuck, I just like to backhand. Like, are you kidding me? What the hell is wrong with you? Why would you go back to that party? Why would anyone, my girlfriend, my female friends, fuck, even my male friends, I wouldn't advise going to that party because nothing good is going on there, clearly, and yet this woman kept going to these parties, clearly signifying she is not of sound mind, and yet we're going to take her word for it in terms of this Boy Scout his entire life going from a guy who's about to be appointed to the Supreme Court to being a gang rapist. These allegations were not only taken credibly, but so seriously that for some reason her lawyer, Michael Avenatti, was considered by many clowns on the mainstream media, Brian Stelter in particular, to be a presidential nominee. They were pushing Avenatti to be a Democrat presidential nominee. That's how seriously people were taking the ludicrous theories, story of Julie Swetnick. So it wasn't just Blasey Ford who was shaky to begin with. It was also Swetnick. There was other women who came forward as well, all of which have recanted their stories, I believe, to some respect, other than Blasey Ford. But, you know, the media doesn't want to talk about Joe Biden's issues with Tara Reid. Now, yeah, there was that one interview on Morning Joe. Fair enough. But let's also note that Tara Reid came forward with the story in the past and then came forward with it again on March 25th of this year. Well, what happened after that? Well, CNN took 19 days before ever running a single story about these accusations. Now, I know, coronavirus, let's face it, they run stories about things other than coronavirus. They got all the time and the bandwidth in the world to write a story about Donald Trump and making up stupid shit like he told you to inject yourself with bleach, but they don't have time to put forth a story about credible accusations from a woman far more credible than previous women who they touted as credible about a presumptive presidential nominee in Joe Biden. They didn't have the time. Nearly three weeks went by before they even printed a single story or ran a single second of coverage on their news network. The China News Network, if you will, uh, the Clinton, the Clinton News Network, uh, whatever, whatever you want to call them this week, all do apply. Now, it's kind of hard to blame some of these folks for not wanting to run with this story, particularly the talking heads on the shows, because, you know, the one guy who did was turned on by his own viewers. Yes, I'm talking about Chris Hayes, who I believe is also on MSNBC, 
because he looks like Scarborough and uh, and Rachel Maddow. They're all the same person. Chris Hayes was betrayed by his own viewers for actually bringing this story up. Now, he didn't make a declarative statement one way or the other as far as Joe's guilt, but he did want to actually talk about the story because, let's face it, the mainstream media was starting to get a lot of blowback for not covering the story. So Chris Hayes decided to try to get out in front of it. He ran the story on his show this week, and for that, he was greeted with hashtag fire Chris Hayes. Why are we firing Chris Hayes? Well, because Chris Hayes decided to finally do his job properly and be something other than a mouthpiece for the Democratic Party. Astonishing. But wait, there's more. The New York Times, they didn't want to cover the story because they weren't covering the story. Seriously, that's exactly what executive editor Dean Baquet told his own columnist in a recent interview. Now, you have to love a guy who gets the friendliest possible interview, one of his employees, and he still gets cornered by a simple question for which he has no reasonable answer. So the uh, the gentleman, I think is Ben Smith from New York Times, was interviewing Dean Baquet, the executive editor of the New York Times, and he asked him, why was Kavanaugh treated differently? Baquet responds, and I quote, Kavanaugh was already in a public forum in a large way. Kavanaugh's status as a Supreme Court justice was in question because of a very serious allegation. And when I say in a public way, I don't mean in the public way of Tara Reeds. If you ask the average person in America, they didn't know about the Tara Reed case. So I thought in that case, if the New York Times was going to introduce this to readers, we needed to introduce it with some reporting and perspective. Kavanaugh was in a very different situation. It was an live, ongoing story that had become the biggest political story in the country. End quote. Okay, lots to unpack there. First sentence. Kavanaugh was already in a public forum in a large way. Was he running for president? Was it that public? I mean, seriously, you're making the comparison of a Supreme Court justice who, frankly, no one would have even known existed or cared Uh, would have just gotten approved and moved through and people would have been like, oh yeah, that's right, I forgot that guy got appointed because outside of the realm of Donald Trump, people do not care about politics largely in America. That's why we end up with the ignorant decision-making that we get both from the voter base and from the idiots that they ultimately elect. Sentence two, Kavanaugh's status as a Supreme Court justice was was in question because of a very serious allegation. What was that serious allegation? Are we talking about Blasey Ford? You know, the one that was not in any way, shape, or form corroborated and, by the way, was 35 years old at that point, a long, long time before, you know, I mean, a long, long standing outside of the statute of limitations, a farther distance than you can any ever, ever actually expect any reasonable person to remember back details regarding something like that. So a 35-year-old uncorroborated allegation Dean Baquet, executive editor of the New York Times, deems to be a very serious allegation. But Tara Reid, who actually has contemporaneous corroboration and has a supposed Biden supporter that is backing her story, that's not a serious allegation, according to Dean Baquet, anywhere. Sentence three. And when I say in a public way, I don't mean in the public way of Tara Reads. Okay. Um, again, we've kind of established that running for president, far more public than being appointed to the Supreme Court. 
uh, Tara Reid. No one would have known who Christine Blase Ford was either had they not reported on that. But, you know, maybe we could have given Tara Reid that same benefit of the doubt that Joe Biden talked about before. I guess not. Sentence four. If you ask the average person in America, they didn't know about the Tara Reid case. Yeah, if only there was like, I don't know, like a massive newspaper that could inform people of the facts related to their potential next president. I mean, if only there was something like that, like a almost like the paper of record would be like a, that that could be a really good tagline. The gray lady perhaps even. Oh, something like the New York Times, Dean. You kidding me? Are you like I mean, these words came out of his mouth and I haven't heard a recant, I haven't heard a con- retraction, a correction, nothing. So Dean Bacay is either so stupid that he doesn't understand what his job actually is, or he thinks you're so stupid that you don't know what his job actually is. And then let's get into the last sentence here, I think. So I thought, in that case, if the New York Times is going to introduce this to readers, we need to introduce it with some reporting and perspective. So they're going to spin it. They couldn't just print the facts as they were being reported, as they were being presented by Miss Reed. This is Tara Reed. This is who she is. This is what she's accusing Biden of. Here's her evidence. That's it. That's the story. No need for reporting or perspective. The reporting is the reporting. You get what she says. You print it. You're welcome to put some sort of editorial out there. They have an op-ed page. You can write to high hell how you think these allegations are credible or not. But as of right now, allegations are being made. This woman has some evidence to back it up. And this guy is running for the president of the United States. It stands to reason that the paper of record would be the ones reporting on this sort of thing. And then he actually goes on to say Kavanaugh was in a different situation. It was a live ongoing story that had become the biggest political story in the country. So we weren't covering it because we weren't covering it is the legitimate logic that he's throwing there. And then it wasn't a big story because we weren't covering it. And that's why we weren't covering it. You following any of that? Because if you are, you should apply for a job at the New York Times because you're a certain sort of special. Anyway, so let's move on to some facts about Joe Biden, right? Like, let's let's take Tara Reid's story, set it aside until a little bit more information comes out about it, until we're a little bit closer to the election. So let's face it, there's no shortage of things that we could pick on Joe Biden for. For instance, Joe Biden sniffs kids. Fact. Joe Biden has groped women, sometimes in front of their husbands even. Fact. Joe Biden loves kids jumping in his lap. And I've loved kids jumping on my lap. Fact. Joe Biden has been enriching his family via his public offices for decades. Fact. Joe Biden is at best aloof and at worst spiraling into the dementia dimension. Fact. Oh. And this week, while he was doing his uh, town halls from his basement when he wasn't falling asleep on Hillary Clinton, he essentially, this guy who's running for the presidency of the United States. He wants to be the commander-in-chief of the greatest country that's ever existed. But he openly declared during one of these town halls that he doesn't plan on putting America first, which is a very weird platform you have there. I wonder if Corn Pop helped him with it. Let's get into the clip. 
I would, I would get much more engaged in the world. We can't step back. If, in fact, for example, we solve the problem in the United States of America and you don't solve it in other parts of the world, you know what's going to happen. We're going to have, you're going to have travel bans. You're going to not be able to do, have, have economic intercourse around the world. There's a lot. Look, when America goes alone, when, when America is first, it's America alone. So he's not going to put America first because he thinks that if he puts America first, that it's going to be America alone, which is weird because even as I've stated here on this network and provided more than enough facts to back it up, Donald Trump's America first policy is in place. America was doing really good before this coronavirus. Coronavirus hit. America's still doing really fucking good. I mean, like considering the the economy almost crashed, it's on the bounce back. Considering we were lacking in testing and PPE, we've managed to figure that out. Considering that we didn't have enough ventilators, we managed to figure that out. We now are testing more people, not only in uh, on you know in absolute numbers, but we are testing more people per capita capita than any other major country in the world, including South Korea. So we've now even passed them, and we are now testing more per capita than virtually anywhere else. And he's managed to make all that happen while also helping other countries, some of which he didn't even want to help. He was saying on a press conference, I think on Thursday of this week, earlier in the week, and he was talking about, you know, I've been giving, I've been giving ventilators to everybody, to some countries of ours that are friends, and even some of us that aren't really friends. They're not even allies of ours, but I'm helping them out. And that's because America first does not mean America alone. But when you are the president of the country, as Trump always says, I'm not the president of the world. I'm the president of America. And since he got the problem under control here doing everything he could do as far as providing medical supplies and infrastructure and resources and money and everything that he's done we have flattened the curve we have reduced the death tolls drastically from the projections that were put out early on and now we're in a position where shocker if you listen to me here where america has handled this better than everyone else and we will be a beacon of hope and a shining example for how to do things from here on forth in regards to situations like this, like we always are and we always will be. America always fucking wins. Doesn't matter if it's war, if it's diseases, if it's whatever. Doesn't matter. We always find a way. It is built into the very fabric of our society is that we have freedoms, we utilize those freedoms in order to come up with better ways of doing things than everybody else ever does. And again, America will, when this is all done, be the shining example of how these things should be handled, and we will henceforth be followed by all of these other countries out there that wish on their best day they could even be us on our worst. Moving on. Speaking of not trusting the FBI, Michael Flynn, General Michael Flynn, uh, was obviously all right. So for those of you who don't know, and I'm going to do a Spygate episode again. I keep teasing that. I'm going to do it at some point in the not-too-distant future, I hope. Uh, Pride Month is coming up next month, though, so I'm going to have some stuff for that. That said, General Flynn, for those of you unaware, um, he was arrested and, and ultimately pled guilty to lying to the FBI in relation to some of the early Russia probe that was going on as the Trump transition team was moving 
into uh, as the Trump team was moving into the White House during the transition period from the election to uh, to January 20th, 2017. And there was obviously the investigation was going on well before that. But Michael Flynn was one of the people that, frankly, was targeted. There's no other way of putting it. He was targeted by the Obama administration and his intelligence community because they, for whatever reason, seemed to think that he wasn't a good person for Trump to have around. He was the only person named specifically by Sally Yates when talking to the incoming Trump team saying, you probably want to keep an eye on this guy. We wouldn't recommend you keeping him around. Now, I'm going to get into why that is a little bit later, but let me go to this tweet thread here by Kimberly Strassel, one of the few good journalists out there and has been all over the Spygate stuff for a very long time. So basically what happened this week, um, well, Flynn pled guilty. Then he came to the realization that his lawyers kind of backed him into a corner and that he wasn't being represented properly. He got rid of his lawyers. He withdrew his plea. And now him and his new lawyer, Sidney Powell, who I talked about a little bit with Robert Patrick Lewis when he was on here doing the interview, uh, she is a bulldog and she has just been doing anything and everything she can conceivably do to get this man exonerated because it doesn't appear he actually did anything wrong. Despite the fact that he did plead guilty to lying to the FBI, the FBI themselves claimed at the time that they didn't think he was being purposely untruthful. Um, and for that matter, they didn't go through certain proper protocols that they would otherwise have gone through with anybody else that they weren't targeting, specifically trying to set them up for a crime rather than actually investigating them for an existing crime that really happened. So uh, I'm going to get into some more detail here, but I just want to get through this tweet thread here. Kimberly Strassel uh, wrote this on April 30th. And I am going to have to paraphrase just a little bit because while Kimberly's got great information, she doesn't always necessarily have great grammar. But I'm guilty of this on Twitter as well, so I get it. To really understand how outrageous these new Flynn docs are, by the way, new docs, there was new information that came out this week, which is precisely why I'm talking about Flynn being exonerated. She goes on to say, you have to add to everything we already know. And key is remembering that the FBI had no reason to interview Flynn. It already had transcripts of his conversation with Kislyak. Now, Kislyak is a member of the, the Russian government that he was speaking to. Uh, Flynn was speaking to Kislyak as a result of uh, the Obama administration taking some action against some Russian, um, I guess, assets that were being placed in a certain facility in Maryland. And Obama closed that facility down, which caused the Russians to do a little bit of a panic move. And as a result, they reached out to not the existing national security advisor, but the incoming national security advisor. By the way, not something that is out of hat in any way. This sort of thing happens all the time when there's a transition team and you want to get something done. Um, when some other foreign government wants to get something done that they know will carry over into the next administration, they'll often reach out to the uh, the president-elect or his team or his cabinet, in this case, Michael Flynn, who is the national security advisor. They reached out to him, and conveniently, Flynn was on vacation in the Dominican Republic after campaigning with Trump and winning the election. He wanted to take some time off before becoming the NSA, and uh, he was contacted by Kislyak, from Russia, and this is what the FBI used as a mechanism for supposedly wanting to uh, to press charges against him. As it looks like Kimberly Strassel is about to talk about in this next tweet here. So number two, the new docs show FBI had already cleared Flynn of ludicrous claims that he was an agent of Russian power. It moved to close that investigation on January 4, twenty seventeen. 
So early January, he was still part of the Russia probe where they thought the Trump team was colluding with the Russians and all that sort of stuff. And they had determined by January 4th of that year, 2017, 16 days before President Trump would take the oath of office, that Flynn was definitely not an agent of Russian power. She continues, but then DOJ, the Department of Justice, cooked up the absurd Logan Act claim, the notion that Flynn had violated an obscure 1799 law, which, sidebar, has never, ever in the history of the United States been successfully prosecuted. It's also probably unconstitutional because it kind of violates your First Amendment rights, but neither here nor there. Let's move on into tweet number three. Again, if they thought he violated Logan, so if they thought that he violated the Logan Act, which is essentially just a a TLDR on this one is basically you as an average American citizen cannot go overseas and negotiate on behalf of the American government without the American government's expressed consent, basically. That's the gist of it, is that they don't want people just flying overseas like John Kerry did, for instance, when he went over to talk to people in Iran about the Iran deal as Trump was getting rid of it. He was over there on his own, you know, free of his own free will, of his own volition, over there trying to negotiate on behalf of America, even though he was never at any point given express permission to do that. That's an actual violation of the Logan Act, if there is such a thing. But nevertheless, the FBI was trying to push this onto Michael Flynn for no reason. Again, he's the incoming national security advisor. He has every right to talk to world leaders about issues that are going to arise when he does eventually take office. So again, if they thought he violated Logan, all they had to do was prosecute. They had the transcript. So if they thought that there was a violation of the Logan Act, they never needed to talk to Flynn. They had a transcript of his phone call with Kislyak. Here he is, a non-member of the existing cabinet, because he's a member of the next cabinet that's about to come in. And he's not allowed, according to the Logan Act or their interpretation of it, to be communicating with foreign governments on behalf of America. So... If they thought that they actually had a legitimate case for violating the Logan Act, they could have just taken the transcript that they had. They could have arrested him. They could have prosecuted him. But according to Kimberly Strassel, their problem, they knew such ridiculousness would never fly. So how else are they going to nail Flynn? As the notes show, which are the new notes that just came out, I'll read to you in a little bit, Logan just became the pretext for the interview. So they knew They were never going to actually be able to prosecute the Logan Act. They used it as a pretense to go and speak with with, uh, General Flynn as the incoming administration was coming in. Jim Comey recently did an interview talking about how he sent two FBI agents there, Peter Strzok and and Joe Pianca, to go interview um, Michael Flynn as the administration was coming in. And he even used the words with, I thought I could get away with it. We went around legal counsel which is all part of protocol, by the way. When the FBI sends somebody to go talk to somebody in the administration, they usually go through the White House counsel's office. They usually follow a certain procedure. They usually have an actual fucking reason for going to do it in the first place. And Jim Comey decided, well, here's a new guy who's never really been in politics before. His his campaign's a little crazy and a little disorganized. I assume his administration will be as well when he first starts off. So let me just go ahead and send a couple guys over to talk to Flynn under the pretext of a Logan Act violation, but also under the pretext that you don't need a lawyer, this is just the chat, we're just talking, we're just trying to get information here. They never at any point 
uh, bring up legal code, uh, I think 1001, which is the, the legal code that expresses that if you lie to federal agents in the course of an investigation, you can be prosecuted for that. Never brought that up either. Never read Miranda. Nothing along those lines. They were basically presenting Flynn with the idea that this conversation is just a chat about some things that they had some concern about. It was no big deal. He didn't need a lawyer. None of that stuff. So the whole thing was was just built was was built on a premise that was just above and beyond protocol, above and beyond normal practices and standards, didn't actually fulfill some of their obligations as far as some of those protocols and, and practices and standards. And they were obviously, as you'll see when we get into those notes a little bit later on, trying to nail Flynn for a crime that he simply didn't commit. So they were going to try to then use this interview for this crime they were never going to actually prosecute to get him to potentially lie. And we'll talk about what protocols they broke in another second here. But here's where Kimberly gets into the real gist of it here. Tweet number four. The real goal was trap him into saying something at odds with the transcript, because they had the transcript of his call with Kislyak, and get him to lie. And the evidence of that strategy is everywhere. We have Comey bragging that they went around White House legal counsel so Flynn would have no representation. I just told you about that. Tweet number five. We have a new email from Lisa Page, who's Peter Strzok's lover, asking how FBI can get around issuing to Flynn the standard ad- admonition against lying, suggesting that Stroke just can't make this up, casually slip it in, casually slip that in. Because, of course, Lisa Page knows a whole lot about Peter Stroke casually slipping it in. Sorry, couldn't help myself. Tweet number six from Kimberly Strassel. We have McCabe docs showing that he discouraged him, Peter Stroke, uh, uh, Flynn rather, from getting a lawyer. The FBI decided to get rid of standard admonition altogether, so they never, whereas Lisa Page was like, hey, Pete, just slip it in. I know you're good at that. Instead, Andy McCabe came in and said, no, 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 no. Don't even mention it, because then he's going to get suspicious, and we can't have that because we need to catch him in a lie, obviously. Also... Uh, from Kimberly Strassel's tweet here, did not tell Flynn he was being interviewed in a, quote, investigatory, end quote, context, suggesting this is a chat between government officials. I, I already touched on that. Tweet number seven. As for liberal commentators slash legal scholars saying all this was, quote, routine, end quote, well, let's sure as hell hope not. The FBI exists to investigate crimes, not create them. Boom. Good job, Kimberly, on that one. Thank you for all of that. Um, so let's get into some of the details here. Why did he plead guilty? If he didn't do anything, why did he plead guilty? Well, he, first and foremost, he, he was threatened with you know a, a, the full weight of the very governmental bureaucracy that just pulled off this magical scam to trap him in the first place. So I'm sure when he found out that he was being prosecuted for lying to the FBI, he was like, well, what the fuck? You told me that this was just a chat, casual chat between government employees. You told me I didn't need a lawyer. You never showed me a copy of the transcript. All of this stuff is normal practices. We went around White House legal counsel in addition to all of that. And Comey just thought, like, oh, I'll just see if I can get away with it. In addition to being threatened with the full weight of the governmental bureaucracy that, frankly, the legal costs of fighting would have been you know, astronomical. Frankly, it would have bankrupted him if he were to try to spend all the money it would have taken to fight this fight 
uh, with the extraordinary legal expenses that it would have taken to fight the government on something that clearly everybody in the government was in on at the time. I mean, there was a good chance that he was probably going to serve a long, long time if he didn't plead guilty. So he pled guilty. They are also threatening to prosecute his son for unrelated crimes that they would normally not even prosecute somebody for. But now having that held over his head, by the way, this is not new practice. Remember when they were threatening to throw Don Jr. in jail because Donald Trump was a Russian asset, supposedly? These people are sick, and they are trying every trick they can possibly get uh, to find in their tool bag, basically, to try to get Donald Trump and any of his allies uh, also, by the way, plea deals are really not all that uncommon. Like people, oh, well, he pled guilty. It must be true. Okay. I mean, people plead guilty to shit they didn't do all the time. And it's not because they're lying. It's because that's what they were told to do by counsel or by prosecutors. You get pulled over. And this actually happened to me once. And you're going 20 miles an hour over the speed limit, which I was. I go to court. I go to fight. I go in. I talk to the prosecutor. I pled down. They gave me a deal. They told me I could... Um, you know, simply get a seatbelt ticket or a talking on my cell phone ticket or whatever the case was. I got a good driving record. They caught me on a bad day. They get it. I'm human. So were they. Um, and I had to go into court and plead guilty to talking on my cell phone or talking uh, or not wearing my seatbelt or whatever the case was. I wasn't talking on my cell phone and I did have my seatbelt on, but that's what they told me to say, because in order to get the lesser charge, I needed to plead guilty to that lesser charge, and so I did. This type of thing happens all the time. People, again, plead guilty to things they didn't do all the time. And again, it's not because they're lying, necessarily. It's because that's the way that they were instructed to handle the situation by either their legal counsel or the state, federal, or city prosecutor in that particular case. So why did they target Flynn? Well, they targeted Flynn because Flynn was not a big fan of the Obama administration, really in general, even though he served in it. He was the director of the Defense Intelligence Agency, I want to say, the DIA. Um, but he was not a fan of the Obama administration's Afghanistan policy. He wasn't a fan of the Iran deal. And he was vocal about the, what, what he thought was the obvious and inappropriate politicization of the intelligence community. I said, you can't make this stuff up. He ultimately ended up being a victim of that very intelligence community that was quite obviously acting out of political motives. Now, I mentioned this before. I think Sally Yates actually warned the incoming Trump administration about one person and one person in particular. That person was Michael Flynn, who she claimed at the time was, quote, compromised, still tying this to the Russian nonsense. Now, she actually said this to the Trump administration in late January of 2017, but as we just heard from Kimberly Strassel, the FBI had cleared him of those charges of being a agent of a Russian power in early July 2017. So she knew that wasn't true, yet she told them that was the reason anyway, begging the question, what were the real motivations? And maybe it was because Flynn, in a high position of power, in the Trump administration was going to spill the beans on all of the political nonsense that the intelligence agencies were undergoing in the buildup to not only the election, but then the Trump administration, and then moving on all the way up to the Mueller investigation. So the other things that he got caught up in were obviously lying to the FBI, even though the FBI admitted at the time that they didn't think he was being 
uh, untruthful on purpose. As a matter of fact, it's normal protocol to show people the transcript and then point out where they think they, there was some wrongdoing and have those people admit to it, not record a conversation, ask that person a bunch of questions, and then as soon as they say something that's inconsistent with the transcript, as if anyone remembers every word of every conversation they've ever had, particularly when you're General Flynn, I mean, the guy's the incoming NSA, I'm sure that wasn't the only important conversation he had that week, or while he was on vacation in the Dominican, where frankly, he was on vacation, you know, a couple cocktails notwithstanding, I'm sure the guy was enjoying himself and trying not to think about all this sort of stuff, but when the FBI questioned him and he said even one thing that was inconsistent with the transcript, for instance, they asked him if he talked about sanctions with Kislyak, which wouldn't be illegal if he had, because it's not a Logan Act violation, because he is the incoming national security advisor, he said he didn't know, and he wasn't sure, and they said, well, you did. And he said, okay, well, I said I wasn't sure. And they said, you lied. And that's how they ended up getting him. And then, obviously, like I said, they threatened his son, and they threatened him with the full weight of the federal government, and it was going to cost him an arm and a leg and maybe even another arm and possibly even another leg uh, in order for him to be able to fight back with the extraordinary legal costs that it would be required to do so. So rather than do that, rather than hurt his family and his personal fortune, I don't know what he's worth, but I'm assuming that, you know, he's a general in the U.S. Army. I'm assuming he made a couple bucks along the way. He's written some books. He's done some speeches. I'm sure the guy's doing okay. Like, I don't think he's a multi-billionaire by any means, but I'm sure he's got some assets that he'd like to protect for his family, his kids, and it was all going to go away if he fought this at that time that was long before Sidney Powell came along. Also, Flynn was accused of being involved in Russian collusion. Now, this one's a funny one. It's because he was seated next to a woman by the name of Svetlana Lakova at some intelligence banquet overseas. And what's funny about that is that he, like, there was a signed seating, and he was sat next to this woman. And then the stories came out like, oh, he was sitting next to this Russian lady. Maybe he's having an affair with her. Maybe he's colluding with Russians and yada, yada, yada. The two of them have both adamantly denied that there was any affair, and there is still no evidence that has ever been presented to the contrary, uh, despite the assumptions from the media and the Obama-era intelligence community. Now, Flynn was also flagged for accusing, uh, for being accused of violating FARA laws, which is the Foreign Agent Registration Act. Um, apparently, he had improperly filed some FARA paperwork, even though he had hired the best FARA lawyers in the country, a law firm called Covington and Burling, I believe. Um, and they, he followed their instructions exactly. As a matter of fact, they filled out the paperwork for him. He submitted them, and then there was apparently problems with that paperwork for which they were trying to charge him for that as well. Conveniently enough, Covington and Burling later hired on Eric, Eric Holder as a partner. Yeah, Obama's wingman, the former AG, while a lot of this was going on. Um, oh, certainly during the early part of the Obama administration, but uh, Eric Holder, good friend of Barack Obama, conveniently gets a seat as a partner on the law firm that royally fucked Michael Flynn. I'm sure it's just a coincidence. By the way, that whole Obama's wingman thing, don't tell Joe Biden, it might break his barely functioning heart. Bottom line here, Michael Flynn was framed. And he almost signed his life away to protect his family, but luckily, attorney Sidney Powell was able to get Flynn back in the fight, and they are now looking into the potential legal malpractice that was done by Covington and Burling, Flynn's old lawyers, and 
They're luckily being aided in this process by the DOJ, the current DOJ, A.G. Barr and U.S. Attorney John Durham, who have uncovered documents during their investigation, during Durham's criminal investigation into the origins of the Russiagate controversy. And uh, they are finding documents that are showing that the FBI may very well have been trying to set up Flynn, and they may have even been stupid enough to physically write it down. And we'll get into those notes in just a second here, but they're getting documents from the DOJ, exculpatory information that the FBI had, that the special counsel's office had, and they've held in their back pockets this whole time. So Flynn, you know, is is looking around for anything that might be able to help him, that might be able to prove that he didn't do any of these things, or at least be able to prove that the FBI was biased and being malicious in their targeting of him, and the FBI and the special counsel's office had those documents the entire time and refused to turn them over to Sidney Powell, to Michael Flynn, and the rest of the legal team. So, let's get into those notes. Um, I had to actually type them out here, because the handwriting is rather hard to read on the, 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 I guess the, I don't know, the JPEG or whatever it was that I was seeing them on. Now, we don't know whose handwriting this is exactly, but it's being reported that it is possibly Bill Prystap, who is the former assistant director of the FBI Counterintelligence Division. It was previously thought to maybe be Jim Baker, who was, uh, I think, the highest-ranking FBI lawyer at the time, was very much involved in all of this stuff going on with the Spygate nonsense, but let's get into the notes. Now, these are notes about the potential inquiry of Michael Flynn about the supposed Logan Act violation about the transcript of the call with Kislyak. He says, uh, he's got a bunch of bullet points here, so let's start with the first one. What is our goal? Truth and admission or to get him to lie so we could prosecute him or get him fired? Second bullet point. We regularly show subjects evidence with the goal of getting them to admit their wrongdoing. Second bullet, uh, third bullet point. I don't see how getting someone to admit their wrongdoing is going easy on him. Fourth bullet point. If we get him to admit to breaking the Logan Act, give facts to DOJ and have them decide. Fifth bullet point. Or if he initially lies, then we present him redacted and he admits it, document for DOJ and let them decide how to address it. So redacted, I believe, because it's mentioned upwards in the notes as well, I believe it's the transcript. I think that's what's being redacted there for whatever reason. I think they're still pretending that they didn't have a transcript of the call when it's fairly obvious that they did. I think maybe if they mentioned the transcript, they'd have to cite it somewhere else, which would mean more redactions. I don't know. But whatever they were going to present him with um, certainly would have been presented to the public by now if it was this outright damning information against Flynn, I'm sure. So let me get back into that one. If he initially lies, then we present him redacted, and he admits it, document for DOJ, and let them decide how to address it. Last couple bullet points here are also important, because I think it, it provides you know some context as to how many people and how high up this went. If we're seen as playing games, White House will be furious. Protect our institution by not playing games. Sounds to me like they were playing games. I mean, for that, I mean, I'm fully prepared to burn their entire institution to the ground, starting with Christopher Ray, by the way, our current director of the FBI, who's clearly been more worried about protecting the institution than serving justice, which is his actual job. 
Now, he wasn't complicit in the actual wrongdoing at the time, but I believe that he has been aiding the cover-up of this ever since, because there's no way that he didn't have these documents as well, and there's no way he didn't know that Flynn was in court trying to fight the case against the FBI, and yet these documents had to be presented to Sidney Powell by the DOJ. Now, maybe, maybe I'm making an assumption here, and Christopher Ray turned it over to Barr, and Barr turned it over to Powell. It's entirely within the realm of possibilities, but Christopher Ray has done little to nothing. And, you know, nothing. He's done nothing in the way of in any way, shape, or form, penalizing, scrutinizing, reprimanding, admonishing, slapping on the wrist, doing the hokey pokey. He has done absolutely nothing to any of these people that were involved in the FBI Spygate scandal. The people that we know now definitely were using any and all means, even above and beyond their already extravagant means, in order to spy on American citizens and to try to get them in trouble for things that they simply didn't do because they're associated with a president that they simply didn't like. It's ridiculous. So Christopher Ray could go first, then we could start slapping handcuffs on all the rest of these fools, and I, I think I'm done with this segment here. So Flynn, all but exonerated. It's got to be made legal and... Trump has been asked now a couple of times whether or not he'd be willing to let Michael Flynn into the administration again if he is exonerated. To me, that's a must. I mean, I really hope that Trump doesn't have to pardon him, but if, God forbid, the legal system fails again, Trump should pardon him, probably not put him in the administration at that point. But if he is able to get fully exonerated by the legal system, there's no reason not to have him as a part of the administration again. And as a matter of fact, I'd consider giving him an even bigger position if that's even possible uh because he deserves it fuck let's make him the head of the fbi i bet he cleaned that shit out real quick just a suggestion anyway speaking of exonerated trump exonerated again this time and in record time so last week politico ran with the story that was trending all over twitter uh politico was claiming that trump actually owed a bunch of money to the bank of china which is Sort of interesting, because you would never know that based on any of his actions. No one's been tougher on China. He's still trash-talking China to this day. So if he owed them a bunch of money, he's certainly not taking it easy on them. Well, it turns out he doesn't owe them a bunch of money. But, you know, just for the record, Trump owes the Bank of China a bunch of money. That's bad. But somehow, not as nefarious when Joe Biden's kid goes and partners with the Bank of China to invest in facial recognition software to spy on and essentially kidnap Chinese citizens for the purposes of throwing them into death camps, no big deal. So, in the Biden camp, Joe Biden thinks Obamacare, big fucking deal. My son, aiding and abetting death camps, no big deal. Just giving you a basis of comparison from where these people are coming from. It actually turns out that... Not so shockingly, Politico ran the story before vetting it at all. They didn't even bother. Immediately after they ran their initial article with the headline, Trump owed, owes money to the Bank of China, they received correspondence from the Bank of China, who told them that the loan in question was relinquished by their organization back in 2012, and I believe paperwork was provided to back that up. Now, the loan was taken on by yet another bank that is not the Bank of China, and uh, isn't involved in any sort of death camps or Wellian surveillance or massive mistreatment of its uh, citizens and things along those lines. Never mind a global pandemic, you know, the Wu flu notwithstanding. Let's move on. Trump was a part owner of a building that took out a loan from Bank of China 
way back in the day. Now, he's only a 30% owner of the building, and his portion of the loan is being paid through his organization and his trusts, neither of which he has any control over at this time. Now, of course, this was a big old nothing burger, and Politico, otherwise known as Bullshitico, they ran with it. But instead of just outright admitting we were wrong on this one, no, no, they didn't they didn't retract the story. They barely corrected the story, changing one word in the headline from Trump owes money to the Bank of China to Trump owed money to the Bank of China, which isn't even a story at all. Not even close. Trump owes money to a lot of people. He's got real estate all over the place. He doesn't pay cash for everything. But, you know, Politico still rolling with this. Now, Politico clearly must have missed the last four years where Trump has been screaming about, hammering down on, and tariffing the fuck out of China for as long as, I mean, I can't even remember farther back than before the tariffs at this point. The news cycle over the last two years feels like an eternity, so it's really hard to think back all that much farther than that. But clearly they've missed that when he says, no one's been tougher on China, that's because no one's actually been tougher on China. Fact check, true. Our media, our celebrities, half of our politicians and most of big tech absolutely love China. They love it. They will bend over for them at their beck and call. Trump's been the only mainstream voice talking about our China problem for years. When I'm, not, I'm not talking four years like since the campaign years. I'm talking like back since the 90s. He's been talking about our dependency on China as a problem. It's going to be an issue for supply chains one day. And sure enough, he ends up being president. And poof, that very problem manifests itself in the biggest, most obvious, conceivable fashion. And he was right. And he has been in a lot of ways, very hard on China. In addition to the tariffs, he had to renegotiate a trade deal. He's also been trying to move some of our companies out of China. He was trying to bring them back here by reducing the corporate tax, and now he's actually trying to move some of particularly medical industry, uh, our medical industry, out of China into India, a slightly more friendly nation, and by slightly, I mean very, um, so that we actually have access to medicines when China continues its fuckery so now we can actually have a place to go to when china releases its next pandemic upon the world we don't have to turn back to them and ask for the cure we can go to our buddies in india and potentially get the cure or obviously we've got more than enough labs and stuff that are doing that here in the u.s and hopefully we can get more medicine uh, medicinal manufacturing back here stateside so that if something like this happens again we don't have to look to other countries to bring us what we need to kill the virus and save our citizens instead we can actually have it here within the walls and that would be better for everybody here in the states which is the only place that trump's really worried about because again he's the president of america not the president of the world so this was attempt number three at Russian collusion, right? We had Russia, we had Ukraine, we have China, and now God knows what they'll turn to next. But I seriously, I give it about a month before the media circles back to the Chinese propaganda talking point that the U.S. Army gave China this virus. It's a narrative that makes it very easy for them to blame Trump, and it's in lockstep with China. So I see no reason why CNN won't be running headlines about that at some point in the not-too-distant future, because give me that sweet, sweet communist gaslighting. 
You're not fake news anymore. You're very fake news. I changed it now. People have been talking about how much shit you talk, and then I talk shit about the shit you talk, and then you turn around and say it's fake news as if you weren't fake newsing. You're very fake news. Believe me. Anyway, so <laughs> moving on. One last thing, I think, before we get out the door. Yes, this is a tweet. I always like to try to leave on a high note. This one popped the hell out of me this morning when I opened up my Twitter feed. Diana for Congress. Yes, Diana Lorraine, or Deanna Lorraine, I don't know how she pronounces it. She's running for Congress. And uh, sure enough, she's running for the House of Representatives for California's 12th District. And yes, if you uh, were paying attention earlier, you know that that's Nancy Pelosi's district. So while Deanna is, uh, is rather attractive, she is going to lose in spectacular fashion because Californians are morons and they'll keep electing the drunk hack that, you know, keeps on talking about how wonderful her ice cream supply is while people are starving, and they'll allow her to stay in office until she dies, and then they'll hail her as some great American hero. I can already hear her now. Washington Post headline, Nancy Pelosi, Martin Luther King of her time, dies at age whatever the fuck. Yeah, I know. Like, they'll, they'll you know, they, they, I mean, think of the flattering headlines they've given terrorists and other things. Like, can you imagine the fluffery that they're going to be presenting on the obituary for Nancy Pelosi? Uh, just, ugh, just the very thought of her makes me a little nauseous. High apologies. But Deanna for Congress, she's a fun follow on Twitter. Uh, you could follow her at D-E-A-N-N-A, the number four, Congress. And uh, you could do that on Twitter. But apparently... And I don't know the full context behind the hashtag here, but hashtag Trump is not a doctor was trending, and she decided to set the record straight. Now, it's a little weird that she even had to, because Trump himself, as I previously stated on this show, uh, has stated that he's not a doctor on a fairly frequent basis. I'm not a doctor. Talk to your doctor. We need to get the medical doctors involved. It's in testing. He never at any point says... Listen to my advice, and only my advice when it comes to medicine. I know more about medicine than you'll ever know. I know more than the doctors and the scientists. I know more about medicine than, 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 than hypocrisies. Uh, Mr. President, not to, you know, correct you or anything, but did you mean Hippocrates? Yes, him too. I golf with him all the time. All right. Um, you got other stuff to do, I'm sure. I'm about to wrap this up and then, uh, then we'll go uh, finish up the back nine. All right, cool. All right, so Deanna for Congress, she takes to the uh, takes to social media to uh, to present to you her spin on hashtag Trump is not a doctor, and the tweet goes for the hashtag Trump is not a doctor crowd. Dot dot dot. Bill Nye is not a scientist. Greta Thunberg is not a climate expert. Hillary Clinton is not a president. AOC is not an economist. CNN is not a news network. Joe Biden is not winning in 2020. And Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. Bravo. You got my vote, even if I have to move to California. No, who am I kidding? There's no way I would ever move to California. But if you ever move out to Jersey, Miss Lorraine, you will have my vote. Rest assured, you could come run against Mikey Sherrill. She's a dumpster fire, and I would appreciate it if you can come do that. It's a slightly more realistic, slightly less uphill battle, but only slightly. Anyway, so that's it for the week here. Thank you for Deanna for Congress and for that little thing at the end there. Brilliant. Um... 
Thanks for the mainstream media for continuing to give me material to debunk on a regular basis right here on the therightopinion.podbean.com. Also, you could just search The Right Opinion on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, not SoundCloud, Stitcher, that's the other one. Uh, or you could find me at hackerhameen.podbean.com or ratsaladreview.com. Hopefully other places as well. If you've got a platform out there, you're looking for some content, hit your boy up. I'd be more than happy to share this fine program with you. Realistically, I'm just trying to get this out to as many people as humanly possible. I'm not trying to make a ton of money off this. Matter of fact, I'm making a couple bucks here and there from my t-shirt sales. So thank you to everyone who's bought one of those. And you can check out the link in the show notes. It's the Right Opinion Merch Store link. Uh, Four shirts up there, some of which a little dated, other which are pretty plain. You got my my t-shirt, just the logo for the podcast and then there's a couple other things on there you can you can get the make america great again again t-shirt which i recommend everyone get themselves ready for as we're coming out of this out of this uh, lockdown and we're coming out of this pandemic nonsense we're heading in to 2020 it was keep america great but then obviously the virus came along and well america is not quite as great as it was so we need to make america great again dot 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 again. And I hope you guys are out there doing your part to do that. One of the things you could do is share this fine podcast on Twitter, on Parler, on Instagram, on Minds, on MySpace, on Zanga, on GeoCities, on Foursquare. I don't know what you kids are into these days, but if you're sharing my podcast, I appreciate the hell out of you. I have been your host, Harrison Bergeron. I thank you guys all for listening and for making it through two plus hours of podcast stuff. There was a lot of content thought this was going to be a short show in retrospect apparently my rambling skills need a little bit of reining in a little bit but we'll try to work on that in future weeks but in the interest of uh, ending my rambling for this week i have to remind you that opinions are like assholes everybody's got one but this asshole has the right opinion right here on the right i will talk to you guys next time peace